Welcome to the Global Wellness HQ family of podcasts. We are your international headquarters for resources and ideas and insight in relation to the nine elements of holistic wellness. Join us as we interview local and international wellness experts and learn how you can implement and improve one element or dimension of wellness at a time. Our experts will share their practical tips on wellness in one of these core areas. Emotional, intellectual, occupational, physical, environmental, financial, spiritual, social, or habitual. We created our family of podcasts as a resource for anyone who is looking to integrate the nine elements of holistic wellness into their daily lives. Welcome to the show. The Global Wellness HQ family of podcasts is proudly sponsored by the Global Wellness HQ community. It's an online membership group where we meet, we share ideas, we share insights, and we all work together and help one another discover our own personal wellness journeys. If you'd like to join us, you can easily click the link below or scan the QR code, and we love hearing your stories, so we hope to see you in the community. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm excited today. We have Rand Eberhardt and my friend Pete Kane. Now, before we get into the meat of the show, um, Rand and Pete wanted to share a little story about a putt. So who'd like to go first? Uh, my guest, for sure. Yes. Rand, it's, uh, the mic is yours. In your uh, eyes, tell us how uh, ended up. Okay, Jeff, uh, Pete, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be part of this. And I've always had a lot of respect for Pete as a, a friend and what he is currently persevering through is just a, 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 the testament of, uh, of an overcomer. And I'm proud of you, Pete. I love you, man. And I'm honored to be a part of this and in this with you. Uh, Jeff, again, an honor to, to share this time with you. And thanks for taking an interest in my life. And the tight work I'm in, and I, I'm excited to speak to that a bit. Uh, the putt <laughs> it goes down in history. Uh, first of all, just the setting of the actual event um, was a memorial tournament for a young young brother who passed away, uh, dealing with exactly what I want to speak to today: the human struggle uh, and bringing light to uh, things that hinder uh, living into our potential and things that present themselves unexpectedly that we have to contend with and, and manage with excellence, just as you've done, Pete. In this particular tournament, um, it, was a, it was a fundraiser event for No Longer Bound, which is a long-term Christ-centered men's recovery program that's residential and uh, clinical as well as uh, spiritual. And interestingly, I went through this program myself 21 years ago as a drug-addicted raging alcoholic that had nothing but hopelessness and a death wish on my life at the time. So Pete, for two years in a row, has invited me to, to be part of the team and compete in this tournament in honor of uh, uh, Dan and um, uh, Dan's brother married Pete's daughter. So there are many elements to this story that are personal in nature, definitely emotional and spiritual without a doubt. So I think that's why <laughs> I think that's why this putt meant so much to Pete and myself. Um, we were on the second holes of par five up the hill, blind pin, and one of the one of the guys on the team was was a player at the local college where Pete and I live at Kennesaw State University, 
and he bombed about a 310 yard shot up a, a, a huge hill, which is probably the longest drive of the day on the whole. We hit a, a shot into the front of the green. Only one of us hit the green and the putt was an uphill putt. One guy missed it. I walked by Pete. I said, I'm going to knock this putt in for you. <laughs> and I walked down the hill and then they're all giving me their reads, just like in life. Every, everybody got their opinion. And I, 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 I grammatically say it that way for a reason. Everybody got their opinion. And I'm from the South and that's how, how we talk out here on the front lines. Um, and everybody got their thought on what the putt's going to do. And I make the read as I see it uh, instinctively. And Pete is one of the best putters there ever was or will be. And he didn't even uh, uh, challenge my, my call, my confidence at all. And I step up and I bury the putt. And the two of us, it was just a pinnacle moment, just a, a, a mountain top experience together. And it, it truly was the greatest moment in a long time for me. Yeah, and it was in front of Pete go, on call. Go ahead. I, I was going to make it for him and it dropped. Yeah. <laughs> And I tell you, we were we were talking right before we went on the show. And, you know, I, I'm a, a big golfer. I mean, I love it. I love the strategy. I love everything about it. And if you guys, if you're a golfer out there, you'll remember Justin Leonard dropping a putt to win the Ryder Cup up in Brookline. He didn't do what Rand did. He didn't <laughs> this one's for you. So it was a bigger putt than a Ryder Cup in Brookline, which has made history. So the magical moment, I, uh, Ram called me up. He goes, Pete, Chris is in town. And he said, and if anybody drops out of our team, we got a strong one. I said, okay, somebody just dropped out. And I said, okay, he, if he can play, he's in. And so I told everybody, I bragged on everybody. I said, and we got a team that it's like the live tour. We're breaking off from the people because <laughs> we had a strong team last year and we lost by one shot. Again, we got out Mulligan, which offers is an extra putt or extra shot. Well, people can buy unbelievable amounts because it's for charity. So what the heck, you just pull out your wallet and just throw a bunch of crazy money at it. Well, the, the whole right before them, because I, I couldn't really play and I was just sitting on that hole, came around. One guy, he took five shots to make a putt. Now, that's more than anybody, but that's the way it works. So it's so incredible. And we were, you guys were crushing it. And uh, so, you know, you think like winning the trophy is the best thing. No, it wasn't. It was Rand's. Because that thing, I watched it, it was center cut just enough speed fell in the, I mean, I couldn't have been written up that story in a million years. <laughs> did it. And I was so pumped for that putt. I didn't care if they double bogeyed every hole for the rest oh, of the round. That's so amazing. that's, that's how much that putt. And for Thanks, only man. golfers, Jeff, because uh, you know, there's a certain element to golf that you just get high in a way when you're playing in these tournaments and a, a fellow teammate makes a putt, but that one was in a class by itself. So yeah, it was special. 
<laughs> I love it. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for sharing. Now, Rand, you came on the show because you wanted to have a conversation about restoration. So let's first of all, let, let's back up a little bit and and share who you are and what you're passionate about in life. And then we'll, we'll transition over to talking about um, restoration and why you're you think that's important. Uh, so I mean, it, it's easy for me to uh, backtrack and, and continue to go beyond my starting point. So I'll try to be succinct and uh, describing who I am. Um, I, for a number of years, uh, I was wavering in life primarily because I was trying to, to define myself independent of who God, the God of creation, the God of the Bible says that I am. So identity and living from that truth is essential for mankind. And the competition that we have out here in this world that puts the center of attention on the individual to prosper in their own effort for their own benefit is part of the reason why our, the fabric of our society has broken down to the point of survival versus the mindset of helping and selflessness. And uh, when I was in middle school, I used uh, marijuana for the first time. And that launched me into this world of questions and this world of uh, uh, the appeal and the effects of, of marijuana aren't bad <laughs> necessarily. Uh, the problem with, with what adults all of our lives have called a gateway drug is it does throw the individual into um, defining oneself amidst whatever so social context they find themselves in. And interestingly, marijuana, as with psychedelics, is it greatly hinders a person's ability to function with high confidence, to present their true self, regardless of what any given social context demands of them. So what happens is uh, because social anxiety enters the scene, normally other drugs and certainly alcohol come into play. So that was the case for me as a 13 year old. I grew up in elementary school on stimulants because I was ADD. Um, but uh, later in life, I would become addicted to stimulants far more than depressants and um, tranquilizers and, and pills uh, and pills uh, as such. So I grew up as a lab rat. And as a result of that, I grew up searching for purpose and identity. And I would essentially conform to whatever my social environment demanded of me. And in doing that, I would often uh, uh, wind up regretting decisions, wind up looking back on problems that I've caused myself or others. And on uh, this side of, of that breakdown of um, my invitation to live into my full potential that's divinely inspired, uh, I can look back and say, I would have done things a lot differently. So that brings us up into to the, to the modern uh, uh, day. And that is, I, I went through a nine-month program. I mentioned No Longer Bound, which was the beneficiary of the tournament Pete and I played in. 
And it was in, at that place that I understood how to emphasize relationships above all else. And those relationships start with God, move to self, and then into the world that we live in. So it was essentially the tripod, the foundational tripod of relationship, which is God, self, and others. And for 21 years, I've been on this ministry of reconciliation and restoration work as part of my day-to-day -day life. So every day I'm helping people. Just today alone, I helped a, a lady who is currently uh, experiencing life without a home, literally homeless right here on the Chattahoochee River. Uh, and we lifelined her and we're able to get her into a safe living environment and hope that she follows through with that offer. So that's just a, a quick snapshot of where I come from the, the cognitive functioning at uh, uh, the mind of an addict, just a snapshot there. And uh, where things get loose when you introduce substances that aren't part of God's purpose for us. I, I love that. And there, there's a couple of things I want to unpack. And, you know, I think from a parent's point of view, um, I have a 13 year old son. And, you know, if I can give him advice, I'd love to hear you know, what kind of advice would you, you know, knowing the journey you've been on, what would you give to your 13 year old self and, you know, by default others out there? That, you know, that's a great question, Jeff. And I, I'll tell you, I did take a few notes and I'll just use it as a little bit of a guideline here. Yeah. And, and for everybody listening, I'm putting Rand on the spot here. We're going off the books and, and, and into, unexplored territory. So I appreciate Rand rolling with us. So thank you, Rand. Yeah. Um, to speak to that question before I slip into all sorts of other things that come to mind, the fleeting thought becomes obsessive thought. <laughs> and that's part of how we, we break down, you know, is, is yeah. we think that uh, uh, um, our, our, our fleeting thoughts are, are sourced from positive things and they not, they aren't always exactly that so uh to answer to answer that question you know i think fear uh is in my notes here a chief activator of all of my defects if we fear people if we fear uh failure if we have a have a, a fear a fear of man a fear of failure a fear of uh, the future specifically we tune in to Fox News or CNN, <laughs> wherever you live, and we obsess over what's the next scary thing coming that's going to garner my attention indefinitely. Yeah, we tune in to see the latest storm and the latest pandemic and the latest uh, 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 economic crises. And then once that's all kind of run its course, then we're worried about the next tyrant that's going to push the red button and lob a nuke over the Mediterranean to the closest country. We just live in this fear-induced world and we're indoctrinated to tune in to see somebody fall. And that's part of the cancel culture. And that's part of uh, forgiveness versus um, retributive justice and people paying the penalty. So a lot to be said there, but in general, I think fear is something that I would speak into your son's life as his father and how to manage um, your thought life in such a way that fear doesn't dominate your responses to what life presents. I love that. And that's, I think, good advice, whether you're 13 or 31. Um, 
so tell me about your journey through restoration. Um, and again, for those who are listening, you know, maybe they're, they have a loved one. Um, how can people who have a loved one who's going through um, addiction, how can they best support somebody in recovery? Okay, so to, to define recovery a bit personally, I've used this for a sure. number of years. Addiction is an ever-increasing desire for something, be it a behavior, a substance, a person, uh, that has an ever-decreasing ability to satisfy. Addiction is an ever-increasing desire for something that has an ever-decreasing ability to satisfy. So you become ensnared in this behavioral process that delivers for a time and then may never measure up again at that same standard of, uh, of pleasure, yet you chase the dragon, so to speak, to use the, the heroin addict language of the 1970s to find whatever that was experience A. And you can't recreate that. So what I've found in my recovery health is that people are often more addicted to the experience than they are the actual substance. If that makes sense and you can track with that a bit. So especially young people love to talk about their spring break as long as it had the right elements involved with the storyline that give it flair. Your story doesn't matter that you went to the five-star resort in the, in the Bahamas it starts to really matter if you throw the right factors in there. Girls, keg parties, sailboats. Now you're off and running and everybody's listening. <laughs> yep. so, so again, experience is everything for people. And to be a restoration worker, for, to frame that in well, you begin to set up what needs to die in your lifestyle. And what do you need to grieve the loss of? That you don't give it return access. I, I love it. I've never heard it explained like that, Rand. And I, I, as you were talking and explaining it, I, I, I think back to my first experience with Ritalin, which was right after I was diagnosed with ADD at this like college, and trying to explain that I made two attempts at college and failed. And all my friends are like going to college and doing great. And I'm, I'm at home delivering, you know, I'm working for a moving company. But the, the fact is I started on that Ritalin path, which led to Adderall and 45 years controlled substance. And my driving desire was I didn't want to feel stupid. And yeah. that's because it pro I had a sense that it did it did have some effect that it helped me process, but I never realized how strong my brain was off of it. Uh, August the 20th was a day I'll always remember more prominent than when I had my stroke February 5th because it was the worst day of my life. I mean, I came to the realization that I was addicted to Adderall. Mm. And I jacked up my brain in a worst way, which you shouldn't do when you had a stroke because your brain needs to heal. But since August the 20th, it's been 1000% better. I never believed in my myself. I, there was that fear like you talked about, 
I always feared that somebody would be explaining something to me and I'd say, can you, can you say that again? You know, yeah. cause my brain would be kind of not whatever, but not, not anymore. I've, I've really exercised my muscle enough where I don't miss things like I did before. So my prominent thought when I was at Shepherd for 39 days and we had some fun with the doctor, he wouldn't prescribe Adderall. He says, no way. Yeah. So when I got out, my first call was to my, my primary doctor. And he said, are you kidding me, Pete? I can't prescribe. You just had a stroke. And I gave him all the research. Hey, I can take up the 40 milligrams and safely. And, and he goes, no, no, no. I'm not. you go see your neuro and you ask him. And my neuro said, Pete, I don't know you from Adam. I met you this time. Your primary doctor, I'm neutral. Don't put it on me. I have no history with you. So it was cautious when he put me back on it, but I abused it. Every second I woke up, that was the first thing I did was get my pill. I mean, it could have been 2.30 in the morning and I still would go thinking I needed that. I needed it. I needed it because I was working. It's what it amounted to and I got overwhelmed. But that you're right about the fear. My fear was prominent when I was at Shepherd. I didn't, yes, I was praying, yes. But yeah. my dominant thought was how quickly can I get back to work? And I knew getting back to work was Adderall because yeah. that's what I used as coping and being able to handle the workload. I thought I needed it, but no, I didn't need it. Well, thank, thank the Lord that you've come to that realization. Yeah. And that through chemical dependency, you were able to produce at a higher level, but looking back through a healthier lens, you're yep. able to see exactly who you are independent of that yep. substance and agree with truth there. Yes. You know, I grew up like you where I was, a, I was a lab rat and doctors throwing Ritalin and this and that at me. And then your personality and your, your personhood as a little kid, you're trying to make sense of that. And you're a lab rat walking around. And then on the weekend, you're hyper and wild. And they, they didn't know what to do with it. Yep. Back then. So yep. that's well said, Pete. And thank you for that, for that word of hope for all of us. Well, I thought of, I never heard the word lab rat, but yeah, that was me. I mean, like, here, try this and see how this works. You know, it was like crazy. Well, it, it, I use that language because uh, if if you Google anyone listening, if you Google uh, Adderall, the mo molecular chart comparatively to crystal meth, it's the exact same structure. Wow! <laughs> Think about that. I'm yeah. not making this up. You go look at it; the two substances are the exact same, except for one little attachment to uh, the street drug. Um, I don't know the the proper scientific language there, but if you Google it, you just be blown away. It's like this is synthetic crystal meth. Yeah. So I mean, it's just unfortunate that people, college kids, abuse it and they become chemically dependent and abusive, and yep. it has its consequences. Yep, it does. It does. And to think I took it for forty five years, missed it for one second. How can yeah. you addicted? in a way, emotionally, to something for 45 years, quit. Cold turkey on August the 20th. Yeah. I even 
looked at it. I mean, I have nothing to say, but I'll, my insurance company, she sent a thing to us. Well, if you're not going to take it, get on another plan. And she said, however, if you're going to get back on Adderall, you got to switch. And I called her and left her a message. I said, your fourth point of getting back on Adderall, you can take that off the table. Cause Good for you. Yeah. I love that. And Pete, thank you for sharing. So Rand, you, you've given me the best definition of, of addiction, I think. And, you know, I like the fact that it's not just a substance, but it can be a person. It can be an activity. Um, now there's a turning point I'm guessing and and don't let me put words in your mouth because this is your topic but at some point you realize you're addicted and at some point there's a turning point where somebody wants to look at the road of of restoration I think is your word um how can people be supported like as a third party watching this or loved one you know trying to be supportive what's the best advice you would give to somebody because sometimes watching somebody go through that restorative work i know um it's it's not a pretty process at all times but what advice would you give for a loved one who's watching somebody go through this how could they support them yeah that's a that's a great way of asking it um you know we would say in my recovery program that a fault recognized is half corrected so if a person is willing to follow the, the simplicity of the Bible in this case, where it says, confess, humble yourself and repent. And I don't want to, I don't want to throw things out there that it automatically sidelines someone's uh, access to someone's heart, because it, it, if you tend towards spirituality, people are drawn into certain things and certain things turn a person off because of their view of God or whatever life is. So I don't want to sideline anyone, but I, I can speak to my testimony and I can speak to the living word of God in my life as restorative, as a, 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 the truth that transforms and sets a person free from themselves to get on with life. So, uh, uh, even, well, I won't, I won't go there, but I'll say this and I'll speak to that a bit more, but let me add this addiction to anything consists of a disease that captures your mind and uses it against you. Okay. This chatter that the ego convinces you that you're correct all the time, because we talk to ourselves in our own voice, we think we're right all the time. And I've labeled this alienating affliction so when you lifeline someone and you say hey look i want to i want to point this out to you because i care enough about you to confront you and gently restore you to purpose and order and accountability and faith and hope and love and all these things that you've been created for when you resource someone's life with a confront of truth gently because you've won their respect to access their heart, not just confront their behavior, but truly speak a word, a life-giving word into their, into their heart. Um, you're inviting them to consider how people are experiencing them. And that's such a, 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 a disarming approach 
versus saying, hey, look, you do this and I don't like it. And therefore, if you don't quit, I don't like you. You know, we live in this confrontational world where you just work on winning arguments and people study endlessly to win arguments. But the spiritual discipline of not having the final word is this, is this submissive, kind-hearted, gentle, approachable disposition that uh, was very Christ-like in nature, where you work on that discipline of not being right. If you fight a lot with people, give up your right to be right. Work on the discipline of not having the final word. You'd be amazed at how people are drawn to you versus, you know, uh, burdened by you as you approach. So I think in a, in a sentence, when you lifeline someone, you say, I care enough about you to sit with you and to, to tell you the truth about uh, your potential and what I see in you and things that might be alienating you from this, this life-giving uh, uh, perspective. I love that. And, and I think that's, you know, you, you were talking earlier about lifelining somebody and, you know, maybe we can go down that tangent slightly and, you know, what, what might that look like on a, you know, typical day for you, um, for example? Okay, so when a person is ready to, to be honest with themselves and receive the help offered them, I, I've, been, I've been trained, uh, my undergrad was counseling psychology, and I went to a Fuller Theological Seminary in, in California, and um, all of it was part of this, this preparation to be a people helper. Okay, so in a clinical studies program, they look at training you and offering the biopsychosocial assessment. And this is an extensive psychological instrument that helps a person frame in the entirety of their lives and look at high risk areas, high risk people, self-defeating behaviors, among many other things. So what I, what I do is I sit with a person and I draw, I draw up four areas instead of the three um, by adding spirituality. Okay, so we sit down and we talk about health and wellness. We talk about um, psychological, mental, emotional well-being. Okay, then we talk about social context. Specifically, I'll say something here. This, this is a, a vital resource for people. I have folks sit down and write down a list of 20 people they interact with most often. And next to each person on your list, simply write giver or taker. A person that gives life and furthers your potential and speaks truth and love and listens well. This is a giver. The taker is someone that doesn't care about anything outside of their own agenda, among other things. Yeah. Um, that simple exercise for young people has been profound. Because they write, wow, these are frat brothers. These are like homeboys. These are dudes I do life with. I can't live without them. It's like, okay, well, here's my, here's my metaphor. When you're trying to better yourself and become well, imagine two crabs in a boiling pot of water. One's trying to get out. The others are pulling them back down to his demise. Yeah. So spirituality is foundational to the, the three. 
And when I draw the, a game plan up with people, goals and strategies for biopsychosocial spiritual functioning. Hey, that's good. <laughs> you, you've got both Pete and I almost speechless. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm glad I can go back and listen to it again. It was really good. I, I've never, I've never heard it explained when you said the social to really, you know, you always hear you're the five, you're the sum of the five people you hang around the most. Yep. So if you hang around people that are always, like you said, takers and, you know, taking from you and what, what do you think that's going to make you? Yeah. Be really good at, at choosing who you hang around with and who your association. And I think that's a perfect example to really give somebody that test of, okay, you're wondering why you're doing this, this, and this. Look who's influencing you. Yeah. And it yeah. says it right there. I mean, that's a, a perfect and it's a simple way too. Yep. And honestly, it's also thinking about, you know, and, and I'm sure you do this by default, Rand, but thinking about who am I and how am I showing up? Am I the giver? Or am I the taker? And, you know, I've had conversations with my son about this and I, you know, get him to think about people's energy and, um, I'll just share a story and Pete, I hope you'll forgive me for this, but um, Pete called me in the car one day and we had a phone call in the car while I was driving with my son coming home from his school. And after we hung up, he said, that Pete, he's got such great energy. He's, he's clearly an optimist. I can see why you like him, dad. And I was like, wow, you know, if, if nothing else, I'm not saying I'm I'm perfect as a father. I try really hard. But if I can give them that little nugget of of minding the energy of those around you, um, I never thought of how important that was until now. So, Rand, I, I love, you know, I, I believe that podcasts can change lives. And mm. sometimes it's the lives of the people doing the podcast. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, that was, thank you that for was the affirmation. On. Yeah, I, I've always had an idea of that five people that you hang, but I've never... Never heard it said in writing out a list of the people, givers, takers. That's as simple as it gets. You can, yeah. you don't have to like guess because you know who the givers are. You know who the takers yep. are. So get rid of the, put those takers out further because it's not that you have to talk to them because my brother, my younger brother, I don't know if you've ever had any experience with narcissism, but he went through an ugly oh, yeah. divorce and I didn't talk to him for three years because he was absolutely ugly to his ex-wife. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not taking it. I'm not talking to you anymore. I mean, it, it was always about him. It was, she was doing this. She, and I said, I, I said to him, man, you are absolutely toxic and mm -hmm. you're playing your kids because they see what goes on when you do this. I mean, it's so easy to pick up, but yeah, man, the takers of life, whew, you better be careful. Yeah. Hang yeah. Well, and, and I would suspect there's correlation. If you're, you know, 
you're addicted and you're dealing with with an addiction um i would suspect that you're surrounded by the takers um and it's hard as you said to be that that crab climbing out when the other crabs are pulling you back down um and it's yeah. funny because i heard that somewhere um it was at one of those weekend events or something where you know the the mantra leaving was i'm not going to be the crab in the bucket you know you're not going to be the one pulling others down um and for pete's benefit one of the things i took away from my oldest when he was in kindergarten they taught this concept of being a bucket filler and it's very much you can be a taker or you can be a giver and whenever you know instead of saying you're a bad kid or you misbehaved the teacher would ask them, are you filling others' buckets right now or are you emptying them? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a, an amazing way to to get the kid to think about their behavior, not I'm a bad person, but oh, maybe I'm a good person and I did something bad or I could have done something better for the other person. Yeah, that that's incredible, man. What a good follow-up uh, follow there. Um, Jeff, thank you. You know, one of the fundamental needs that we all have as part of our human condition is the need to be heard, understood, and valued. And all the, the, the context in which I serve and pour out my heart, I try to see the person in front of me and listen with my whole heart and train the people that work with me to offer the same. Because as you said about Pete's optimism and your son's recognition of that, we just need somebody to believe in us for a minute. Think optimistically. Don't hit me with the doom and gloom or why it's not going to work or reject me or judge me. I'm already hard enough on myself. You know, yep. so <laughs> to be heard, understood and valued, suddenly you have a friend. Yeah. If I could bring up a short story, ever since I stopped using Adderall, um, a lot of my family members think I'm a little nuts. I'm very decisive in my thinking. There's no like great. So I, you know, of course, PT has been part of my life for the last eight months. So I'm going to this one PT place and man, I'm pouring into everybody in there, giving them books, having fun with them, giving them riddles and just having a blast. And then it comes down to this tournament. So as, as we talked about, maybe we did, but this tournament meant a lot to me. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I asked the guy, I said, so who's in charge of giving here? And he goes, such and such. I said, okay, how do I get to such and such? And he goes, through me. I said, okay, how do I get you? He says, well, you got to set an appointment. I said, okay, I'm going to set an appointment. I'll be finished here in about 30 minutes. He said, no, I, I got an appointment with the person in the front. We got to go over whatever he said. I said, I only need a couple minutes, like two minutes. He go, well, you know, he's hemming and holler. I walked out of that place and never came because I asked for two minutes for a $25 gift card. I mean, heck, I'm giving books. I'm talking to him. I'm, I mean, I gave my services for free because I said, I'm going to be there. Why not help you? But I could get two minutes because he was so focused on the procedures, he didn't think about me. He thought only about himself and I got to follow the system or I'll get in trouble. And it cost them their business because I called the owner. I said, hey, it's a rookie mistake, but hey, rookie mistakes have consequences. Mm -hmm. I have 
I'll go drink a beer with a guy. I'll I'll talk to him. I'll continue to help him, but I'll never be back. I mean, and my my daughter, man, she said, Dad, you can't do that. Like, don't you think that people make mistakes? I said, absolutely. But mistakes have consequences. I wasn't asking for $2,000. I was asking for a an in-kind love offering of 25 bucks. Hey, what's nothing wrong with that? But when, when that happened, I was very clear in the way, uh, no way. I didn't know where I was going. I could have been. It could have been a bad decision, but I knew exactly that I could not step in there again, given that somebody couldn't give me two minutes to share what I was passionate about. And I think that's a great when you when you don't have uh, drugs influencing this thing. And honestly, that's a great insight, Pete, that, you know, doesn't take a lot to make another human being feel heard and appreciated. Yeah. And yeah. if, you know, I, I've teach that to my kids. If, if you want an enemy for life, make somebody feel unappreciated, unheard. And mm-hmm. it's amazing how you can fix a relationship if you're intentional or you can damage one if, if you're not intentional. Now, Rand, I could talk to you all day, and, and this is an incredibly important topic. Um, is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't asked you yet? Well, likewise, I, I can hang out with you guys for the rest of the day. You guys, you guys are you bettered my, my life and uh, my experience today, and thank you for your time. I'll, uh, I'll just conclude with, um, um, you know, the the indicator that you might consider coming to the beginnings of an end to oneself for me is marked by being a fault finder and seeing the worst in people uh to be a giver in this broken world i strive to um be the type person that people are excited to see when i'm walking up and if you're that guy then you're doing the best you can to self-assess, own your problem, confess, humble yourself, and change on a daily basis. And if you're doing those type things, you're, you're investing in something bigger than yourself. And I encourage everybody to just entertain that. Be self-aware, be situationally aware, and be person-centered. And when you're doing that, the the glory of God is radiant in your countenance and in Christ, you are positioned to be a contributor instead of a taker. So that's a little bit more of what I wanted to speak to. I love that. Um, now, usually at this point, you know, typically people on the show, they're looking to expand their business or their reach, but you know, we're, we're having a conversation with you just because we thought it was important and valuable. Um, if people are listening and they really want to support the work you're doing, what's the best way for them to connect with you or, you know, maybe to make a donation to the, uh, the charity that we were talking about earlier? Uh, uh, may, let's see. You could either email me uh, personally at my email address um, or you could uh, reach me on Instagram which is an easy way for people to communicate these days without a, a, a with a less formal approach. 
um, and my shameless Instagram name. And l let me preface it with this. You know, I grew up in a, in a pretty blended world and I grew up with the, uh, the Canadians won't really understand the, the language here, but for, for me, I, I grew up in, 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 you know, God has, has called me and purposed me to reach the furthest out person. So the person out here on the fringe and margins of society, that's the guy I'm going for. That has no hope, that has no optimism, that has no lifeline, no friend. That's the kind of person that I feel compelled to, to reach. And in that, I'm, a, I'm kind of like a street dude. You know, I'm all buttoned up, up in this nice office looking like I got it all figured out, but I'm really, <laughs> I'm a reformed street renegade is how I, I explain it. And to answer the question, my shameless Instagram account handle is at Real Talk Rand. <laughs> I love <laughs> long it. Long answer, but a good one. It's it's worth explaining. So, Rand, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's always wonderful when we connect with great people. Um, today, I, I find this has been a very interesting topic, and I think something that hopefully will will ripple out to our network and help somebody, um, you know, whether it's somebody dealing with, with mental health issues, whether it's dealing with addiction. Um, but I just want to thank you for taking the time to hang out with Pete and I today. Glad to have been a part of it, Jeff. Yep. And thank you Ditto for that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and we invite you to either click the link below or scan the QR code to register and listen to other episodes of our podcast. Or if you think your business or you would be a great guest to be on our show, we're always looking for experts in one of the nine elements of holistic wellness. We'd love to have you. You can either click the link below or you can scan the QR code and complete our speaker intake form. Thank you and to your wellness.